Hello and welcome to episode number 8 of Midiera Meets, a monthly music podcast where we talk to a wide range of people from the music industry. This month I'm speaking to Hannah Dunster of Soundcastle. Uh, Soundcastle is a community music company and for those that don't know, community music uh, offer workshops and sustained projects with communities and people on the periphery of society. This could be disabled people, it might be people out of work, it could be people with mental health issues, people that full-time look after a family member. Um, It brings them an opportunity to make friends, to make music, to have some fun and to build confidence. So I caught up with Hannah earlier on this year in Brighton to talk about community music and what her company does with it. Right, Hannah, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. No problem. Um, yeah, and it's really good to talk to someone who has the background of community music, yeah. which is one close to my heart. Um, great, so the first question that I normally ask people on the podcast is where music started for you, and like, what were your early memories of, of music? Mm. So, um, I didn't come from a very musical family. Uh, my parents didn't have any music education at all but they loved listening to music. So whenever we were in the car, music was always playing. My dad was always singing along to Fleetwood Mac or Brian Adams or these kinds of guys. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there was a real kind of appreciation of music, but just no instruments in the house or anything like that. And I've got no idea where it came from, but about the age of six years old, I just knew I wanted to play the flute. And I can't remember where I saw it the first time. I can't remember why that instrument stood out. As I said, I wasn't surrounded by music in any way. I just knew that the flute had this incredible sound and I was really drawn to it. And I just wanted to get my hands on one. That's amazing. And my parents were a bit like, oh, where did this come from? Um, Didn't really know what to do and spoke to the school about it. And by the age of kind of eight or nine, the school had managed to get in a a flute teacher and I I started having lessons and it all grew from there. That's superb. I wonder what was the genesis of the the flute? Where did that come? Did you maybe see somebody live? I literally have no idea. We never went to see live music when I was a kid. So it must have either been on TV or a recording or something like that. Um, But I I have no memory of, of where I saw it. I just have the memory of the feeling that I needed to play the flute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brilliant, because it's a really expressive instrument, isn't it? It it's is. A very, um... It's one of the earliest instruments ever ever to be discovered. They really? used to make them out of bones and put holes in, in the bones. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which bones they were? They I don't like know. Their, their enemy's bones. Yeah. They made out of your arch rivals. Oh, oh it all becomes a bit sinister when you think about it like that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe animals or something. Yeah, yeah. most probably. That's incredible. Yeah. So you, you had lessons. So when did you start yeah, having lessons? Yeah, so I had lessons at school, and it was a very kind of traditional classical, very English music education. So I had a lovely teacher um, and she basically put me through all of my exams and that was my musical education. That was all that I knew. Um, My parents who were super supportive and super enthusiastic about my playing didn't really know how to broaden my musical horizons any more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just kind of went along learning all the classical pieces of music and and going through my grades. 
Um, and in my head, like this was the best thing ever, and I loved playing, and I just wanted to keep on playing, and loved playing in orchestras, joined all the local youth orchestras and all that kind of stuff. And I thought, okay, my, my path is set. I know exactly what I want to do. I'm going to go to university, I'm going to study music, I'm going to get really good at playing the flute, and then afterwards I'm going to go and do a master's at music college and get like really even better at playing the flute, and then I'm going to join an orchestra and all my dreams will come true. Mm-hmm. And that was the path I'd laid out for myself. <laughs> that's a very vivid picture yeah. of painting there. From about the age of 12, I was like, that's what it needs to be. Brilliant. I think yeah. sometimes you need that drive to... Yeah. To get to get somewhere in life, you need those like strong visions of exactly what you want. Yeah, I and mean, it was really helpful in spurring me on in my flute playing because I was loving playing in the youth orchestra so much. I could really feel I wanted to do that as a career. But interestingly, because I wasn't exposed to any other kind of music making out there, literally all I knew was this uh, classical world. Um, it didn't really occur to me to think to do anything else. Like, mm-hmm. I was on that path because I, I didn't know anything else and music felt great and this was how I knew music. Brilliant. Brilliant. I, I felt very lucky actually, within the state education system at that time, there was a real focus on music in, in all of the schools that I went to. And it was, it was really beneficial to me because I was a very shy kid actually and mm-hmm. I used to find it quite difficult to make friends. So music really helped open up my social life and helped me form those friendships. Definitely. That is a very, I mean, that's a, that's a very um, a profound thing that happens with music across the board, isn't yeah. it? The bringing of people together that maybe wouldn't have had anything in common other than music. Um, and I've, I'm sure you find that all the time doing your workshops and doing community music and, you know, bringing people from two different walks of life together. Yeah. Um, I certainly find it with myself and other people, I, you know, sometimes sit and really get on well with people because we have this connection of music is such a strong bond well it's that absolutely liberating feeling of being able to communicate with someone without using words you take the pressure of words away of having to make an articulate argument about something or having to say something really profound and you replace it just with sound and harmony and melody and rhythm and suddenly you're absolutely in unison together completely on the same wavelength completely on the same vibe but just through music definitely yeah you can yeah. It's, I, I guess it's that thing of when someone when you listen to someone's music and you're really feeling that yeah it's like a really yeah. uh, abstract thing that you're defining there you're, yeah you don't it, you can't you're not really saying that you know it or that you understand it but that you feel it which is yeah, it's an abstract thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's so good, yeah, taking that language and still having the communication. Mm-hmm. Um, I play in a band, and we're, we're just a sort of a fairly normal band. We're not, we haven't got any stratospheric sort of uh, plans. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just having that communication between the four of us, and uh, it's, it's a powerful bond. And I guess playing in orchestras and things, you have, you have that as well with them. Absolutely. There, there's something really lucky about being the flute player in an orchestra because you're right in the centre. Oh, yeah, So yeah. you're surrounded by all the instruments, you know, 70 musicians all playing at the same time and the power of the sound literally surrounding you is, is quite a rush. Yeah. yeah, and I suppose you're playing quite a defined, articulate sort of sound that, that carries itself within that body of sound doesn't it absolutely yeah it's very a very clear sound so did you so your plan was to go flute 
GCSE, mm. flute, A-level, and then flute degree. Yes, and then flute master's and of music flute college. Masters. Can you do a flute PhD? Um, I suppose <laughs> I suppose PhDs must exist in, in performance studies. Maybe you have like to that. build one. I th- yeah, <laughs> probably, probably. So, yeah, what did, yeah. You, did, you, did you follow that path? No, no, not at all. <laughs> it all got scuffered quite early on. I fulfilled the first part of the... I got to Nottingham University, um, which was a great music course, um, focusing on classical studies, a combination of flute performance and more academic research studies, and it kind of suited me perfectly at the time. Really happy at university, just thought it was great, the course was great, but in my second year it all went horribly wrong because I got tendonitis really badly, essentially from overplaying the flutes really and wow. yeah and never having been taught how to stretch properly beforehand or look after my body when I played that just never factored into any of my training mm-hmm. and suddenly I was faced with the doctors telling me I wouldn't be able to play the flute for a really long time and I would probably have to give up on my career of becoming a professional classical flautist because Um, my tendons were so badly damaged they would never recover enough for me to be able to practice for hours on end every day which is what you need to do to get to that classical professional level wow so suddenly second year of university like 20 21 years old and all my dreams kind of crashed down in one go and I thought okay that's my music career written off I at the time I just thought how on earth Am I going to carry on with music? Because all I know is this classical career path. Mm -hmm. And I'm a flute player. Like, flutes don't play in any other kind of music, I thought at the time. So how on earth can I carry on? And did you think, was that something that would... Is that something that happened through through a lot of practice? Or was it... Um, It was uh, a combination of a lot of practice and a lot of typing up of essays at the same time. So computer work and practice, right. not stretching properly, not resting my muscles enough in between. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, whenever what a person thinks of like practicing an instrument, yeah, you, you, you don't really think of the, the muscular things that are happening, like yeah. with the piano or the, or the guitar, but It's yeah. physical endurance. Like, um, it's, it's real, when they say the word training, they really mean training in terms of a physical, muscular training as well. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really common for musicians to injure themselves, essentially, especially students building up to exam times, mm-hmm. because they don't have, and I didn't have at the time, that self-awareness to know when to stop. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, the more I practice, the better I'll get. And so you play through the pain or you disregard the pain thinking, oh, it'll go away when actually you're damaging yourself. So how did you, what happened after that? Well... Um, I was very lucky in that I had a wonderful personal tutor at Nottingham. The the teaching team there were just brilliant at the time. Um, They really looked after me. They got me scribes for all my exams. So I did all my exams spoken and with a scribe writing it down for me. 
they put my flute performance exams on hold, so I went part-time to give myself like a year and a half of recovery time without playing the flute before I started picking it up and performing oh, that's great. again. That's so yeah, they really enabled my studies to be flexible to enable me to complete my degree. Um, but then beyond my degree, I didn't know what to do anymore because I couldn't practice to a level high enough to get into music college. So I just took some time out because I, I just didn't know what to do with my life at the time and I didn't know how to have a musical life without playing the flute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I trained as an English foreign language teacher. I worked abroad for several years. Um, Where did you work? I lived in Australia and Sydney and oh, in cool. Kolkata and in India. Nice. Um, and it was great. It gave me some distance from music. It helped me to see people in other walks of life. It helped me learn about other cultures and just to learn about what's out there, basically. Um, and after a couple of years, I, I started to really miss music. And I thought, you know, actually, like, I do need to work in the music industry. I just don't know how. And I was very lucky when I was in India, um, I was with a friend out there um, and she suggested we went and did some music workshops with local children in some of the schools there. And I had no idea what I was doing. I just kind of went along with her and thought, oh, this is fun. We'll just chat with the kids and hang out and make some music. Yeah, we'll just play some covers that they might know. Yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. With neither of us being able to speak the other one's language. And, um, and it was amazing because basically my friend took her violin, I took my flute and the kids brought themselves and the kids sung us their songs and things they'd been learning and we tried to figure out how to play along with them and it was all very ramshackle and unplanned um, and just let's be in a room and try and make music together and we played musical games and things like that and I just had the best time. And I realised that it didn't matter that we couldn't speak each other's languages because we were having fun making sounds. Yeah. Um, and we were communicating in our own way. They brought something, we brought something, and it felt really, really good. Um, and then eventually, when I moved away from Kolkata, it felt really wrong to have been in there doing that and then to, to have left it. Um, and I realised that if I wanted to carry on doing something like this, I wanted to find a way to make it more sustainable and more continuous and work with communities for longer periods of time. Mm. Um, And that brought me to the leadership masters at the Guildhall School of Music. And I found my way into music college, um, which I thought was written off for me. I thought I would never be a good enough player to get in. And luckily the, the leadership course Um, was this wonderful masters that existed purely to train people how to make new music with anyone. So it's all about collaboration. Maybe you're working with highly trained professional musicians to make a brand new piece of music. Maybe you're working with a group of homeless people to make brand new music or a group of primary school children. doesn't matter who the people are. The idea is you work out how to make new music together. That sounds great. That sounds really good. I want to go and take that <laughs> now. That's brilliant. So yeah. I guess that armed you with the skills to to be quite dynamic in what you're doing and, and apply yeah, apply what's necessary within 
the any particular environment. Yeah. Because um, I, I remember, like, I taught English as well for four mm-hmm. years, which is sort of how we met. Yeah. And uh, I remember, you know, some teachers talking about when you have no materials, you can still do an English an English class. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's about. I mean, teaching English is sort of a similar thing, isn't it? It's like you can have you can rely on having a lot of things to use and 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 uh, yeah a lot of techniques or whatever but yeah if you're able to be dynamic it's really good because um you never know what you're gonna what situation you're gonna get into exactly you're working with people and a group of people is an unpredictable thing a lot of the time um i i completely agree with you i think my english language training teacher training really set me up for what i do now simple things like um understanding that it's about having a dialogue with people, understanding that you need to speak with clarity if you're going to bring a whole group of people along with you, understanding that you need to trust each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah, it was really, really helpful in terms of what I do now, basically. Yeah, um, exactly. It opened the doors for me beyond the classical world. Definitely, and into this world of community music, yes. which, which, um, which you work in. Um, which is an amazing thing. It is really an, is an amazing thing. And there are so many people doing community music. Uh, I mean, I've only know in the UK, but I'm sure around the world there's, there's great people working in community music. But it's a bit of a mysterious thing because people don't know what it is. I think if people have lived a fairly privileged life, then they won't have ever sort of needed community music or been part of it. So... Yeah, it would be good if, I guess, together if we could define what community music is or, or what, what's community music to you? What is, what is it? To me, community music is a group of people collaborating together to find what their sound is in that moment in time. And that can be any group of people brought together through whatever circumstances, but the idea is they're creating something new that is representative of them. Um, it might help for me to also explain what I think community music is not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's, I can't remember who made this quote now, but somebody once said that what we need to avoid is musical soup for the needy. This idea that, oh, there's this poor, underprivileged group of people and we're going to dish out some lovely music making to them and it's going to make everything better. Yeah, yeah. It's not about that at all. Um, It's about working together with people and acknowledging that music is a human right. It's something that everyone inherently has in them, even if their childhood maybe got it stamped out of them a bit. It's something that everyone can bring to the surface again with the right encouragement. Um, So it's not about outreach, it's not about trying to fill concert halls or um, trying to save the dying classical music industry, it's not about any of that, it's about bringing music back into people's lives as a natural part of life. Yeah, it's a very good definition. (laughs) I like on, because on your website you mentioned about it being, music is like the first thing that we hear in the womb yes and one of the final one of the final things that stays in our mind at the end of our yeah. lives too which is so true it's so true you see it all the time in um when community musicians work with people who have dementia um the songs that these people heard throughout their lives they can sing you the whole song 
They might not be able to tell you their children's names, but they can sing you all of the lyrics of an entire song because something in the music stays in their mind. What, what benefits do you, do you think community music brings to people? Oh, so many. And, and I, I think I should emphasise that when community music is done well, it has incredible benefits. We, we do need to acknowledge as well that music has the ability to harm. It's a very powerful thing. If you go about music in the wrong way, it can make people feel isolated or stupid or incapable. And so we have to work really hard to make sure the way we deliver community music is in an empowering way that makes people feel like they can have a go at anything. So I would say the benefits are that you unite a group of people. Literally, when a group of people is singing, their heartbeats start to beat in time. It's incredible. The breathing mm-hmm. starts to come together. Um, so you unite a group of people, you start getting people communicating beyond any barriers that might have arisen within their community. Um, we have a families project over in Bow called in London uh, called Musical Beacons, and it's a part of London where over 90 different foreign languages are spoken. And on a weekly basis, we get about 40 people in the room with so many different languages spoken between them, and they all make music together. Um, and they start hanging out together beyond the sessions, they start going around each other's houses, so you start to literally create links between people and communities, and you just use music as a starting point for that. Mm. Um, I'd also say it can be an incredible tool in building resilience in people and building their confidence. Um, we're working a lot in mental health settings at the moment, um, and we we work a lot to really build people up to that stage of music where they feel like they can share it with other people. Okay, we've created something now, we've communicated together, we've had a dialogue, are we ready to share it with other people in this world and and see what they think and show it to them? Um, And it's so, such an exciting and empowering moment for those people to do that because that is the point where they realize what they've done, that they've actually made something out of nothing together and the it just shoots their confidence levels up beyond belief that it's quite amazing to definitely, see it. Definitely. I think with I mean I worked a lot in South Wales with neat with mm. neat children. Yes. And I think that's what we found what I found incredible was that um, initially they were quite uh, reluctant to join in or to or to share or to sort of just open up a little bit to the group. But by the end of it, they were in that situation. They were like, oh, can, I, can you give me a CD so I can play it to my friends? Like, they really... Um, it is such a gratifying experience. Um, you realise then how much of an impact this stuff does have on people's lives. Yeah. Um, in drawing them together and building their self-confidence, their well-being. Because yeah. I was thinking about it, and I, I just added this on the train here. It's quite a, like a meditative element. To making music isn't there there is yeah it's we've had we've run music sessions before where we've said almost nothing and the entire session has been an improvisation we would never usually start with a community music group like that it's usually quite far down the line when the group are already 
feeling quite safe and trusting of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the whole idea is you start to create a dialogue out of sound. One person plays one note, waits for somebody else to play the next, and then you build and build and build. And it, it really is like a meditation because especially if you're holding a beat together or a rhythm together, because if you allow your mind to be anywhere but the moment, you'll fall out of the music. Mm -hmm. So in order to stay in the music, you can't afford to focus on anything but the sounds you're making. Definitely. It, I've just remembered that when we were sort of in, God, it must have been college or uni, we used to play a game, but it was, as a group of friends, this isn't part of community music, where you'd, everyone would close their eyes and hum different tones in a group um, and it was really great it was a really great expressive thing um, and you got some really beautiful chords just from combinations of notes that people were playing yeah. but what was funny about it was we as a group of friends that were friends for like two years or something through college we only ever played it maybe four or five times because of being a bit scared of looking like an idiot yeah. or something mm -hmm. or, or just wanting to not seem cool because you could you feel like you could if you were singing a really high note and everyone else stopped <laughs> you might sound like an idiot you know <laughs> There's a, that's a, a great, really interesting exercise that one it is great it was um, so much fun when the larger the group of people you get the less self-conscious people feel because everyone's doing it together and if you're standing in a circle we call it a sound bath when we mm -hmm. do it so you're literally creating a bath of sound and we always invite a couple of people to stand in the middle of the circle while everybody else is humming their different notes that make these magical chords. And we get them to close their eyes and just enjoy it, let the sound wash over them. And afterwards, we ask them, and this is particularly interesting with children, we ask them how they're feeling or if it made them think of anything. And the children in particular, like their imaginations go crazy with the sound. Like everything from a swarm of bees to ocean waves to Buddhist monks chanting to feeling like they were floating in space. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. Just from the human voices. Just, Just from, from a human combination voices. of human voices. It's such a great... Music is such a great expression that we all have, isn't it? And, and for people who are sort of... Who, are, who, who have disabilities or they are sort of outsiders of, of mainstream society, it's so great to have that, the expression and the ability to go to a place and, yeah. and join a group and do those sorts of things. Yeah, and, and it bridges, this is why community music is so important, it, it bridges the gap between um, having no music at all and music just being in the realm of the professionals. You know, it's just something we see on TV, you know, who's a singer? Beyonce's a singer. She's completely untouchable, mm -hmm. you know? And yes, we all enjoy singing along to Beyonce's song, and that's great, but we're not going to be Beyonce, so how do we embody music in, in our lives? And community music just shows everyone that it's there. Music is for you to enjoy. Go and find your local community music group and, and make some music. Um, for our people who come to our sound and movement courses, they say, you know, in the beginning, it was a reason to leave the house. It was that push they needed just to get out of the house and socialise and be with other people. For some of them, it's a bridge into getting back into work again. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, being confident to be in a room and sing in front of a group of people. If you can do that, yeah, you can get a job. Like, it, the, the things, it's all about building up the confidence and the resilience through a creative medium yeah. and because it's a creative medium it's natural 
it's human, it's based on instinct. We're not forcing anything here, we're just opening space and encouraging and creating a, a safe, supportive environment to, to find their voices in. Yeah, and I, th- I think going back to something you said about 15 minutes ago, which I was keeping in the bank and then we talked about something else, that it's great to have like a final thing. When, when people go into a room and it's just a group of people with essentially just themselves and they leave and they've got a collected memory of something that they achieved together, like that's a really, really powerful thing, isn't it's it? It's really powerful. And, you know, if it can be some sort of performance or sharing, that's great. But if the group is too vulnerable for that, some kind of recording... Um, People love taking recordings away with them. And one thing we really try to focus on is running activities in our sessions that people can replicate at home. So a lot of people, particularly in our mental health sessions, have said we've created activities that they've then felt confident to go home and do with their young children and use it as a game and a way to interact with their young children. And again, it's taking words out of the equation. We're just playing with sound. It takes the pressure off of everything. Yeah, so just can you give me a bit of background on what Soundcastle is and when you started? Of course. So Soundcastle um, was set up by myself and three other women, Rachel, Jenny and Gail. And we all studied together on the Leadership Masters at Guildhall School of Music. When we were studying, we could see we we were all on a similar wavelength. We all wanted to do the same thing. So as soon as we graduated 2011, we set up the organisation and never looked back. Fantastic. Um, and basically what we do is we set up community music projects in partnership with communities that are facing challenging circumstances of some kind and feel like music could help them face some of those challenges. Brilliant. What an awesome, that's just an awesome thing to be doing, isn't it? <laughs> that's really incredible. I, every now and then I pinch myself because <laughs> it's just the best work to do. I'm, I'm so lucky in my job. Um, We really focus um, on co-production, so working in partnership with communities. Um, We try to be very careful not to parachute in. If we see a group of you know, you see a group of vulnerable vulnerable people, and you think, "I know what you need. You need some music." Music. In we come. Let's all make music together, and then you run off again. And no, we we really try to avoid that. It's about meeting people, relationships growing organically. And if they feel like music is something that would be good and useful in their community, we come in and work together with them to implement a project. And, and we do our best to make our projects work, uh, run for as long as possible. That is fantastic. I think, I think of all the music companies I've seen, you, you have so much um, like investment in what you're doing. It's not about just turning up with a few bags of ukuleles and then leaving two hours later because mm-hmm. I think for certainly in my experience of community music a lot of the the vulnerable people just have people come into their lives and disappear and then come in someone else comes into their lives and disappear and and that doesn't forge any like any um, stability in their mm-hmm. life but yeah I think what you do is incredible because it's a very um, it's a very methodical process that you do in order to 
give people something that they can then take on and and use that's it. it it's about sharing the responsibility so i may go in as say an expert in the musical side of things but the other people in the room are the experts in their community and what their community needs and what their community voices and so then it's about us having an exchange and a dialogue and they can help me to understand what their voice is i can help them to understand how to make the music and it grows from there brilliant what areas do you cover? Where else uh, do you work? London, Bristol and Sussex. Um, and that sounds very impressive, but actually we're still quite small. And the reason we're small is because we focus on particular projects going on for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So in London, um, our main project, which has been running since 2012, is Musical Beacons, the family's project in Bow where lots of the families speak different languages and they come together to make music to celebrate their community. Then in Worthing, we have this mental health project in partnership with Sussex Recovery College. So those are our two main long-standing projects. Mm -hmm. Then we do shorter-term projects that work in collaboration, often with schools or cultural institutions such as museums. Um, and we might go in and run a project that just lasts a matter of weeks, but within it there's a training element. So whoever is the, if you like, the, the rooted person in that institution, they are then left with various resources and new ideas to keep the work going themselves within their environment. That's brilliant. That was what's amazing um, when we met because um, I was working in Mayfield yes. in a summer school and you came you came on the day totally unbeknownst to us when we didn't know you were coming, <laughs> such as the, the organisation. Yeah, the summer the language day. school, off the cuff vibe, yeah. Yeah, but it was, it was an amazing thing you did. I, um, so you you came you came to the the school and you did music workshops with groups of children in our school mm-hmm. and there was no instruments involved. No, no. So it it was incredible. I know um Fernand, Fernando Fernando yeah Fernando came with the guitar yes but everyone else was involved in this this musical workshop and experience with no music whatsoever. Yeah. Can you explain what, what happened? Yeah, well, I'm very lucky with Fernando, who also happens to be my husband. Um, he's Brazilian and he um, has studied um, what's called uh, body circle music. And essentially, you just use voice and body to make sound and build everything out of that. So when I say body, it might be clapping, clicking, um, you can use your mouth, your chest. There's all different types of claps. So you use all these different kinds of sounds to build rhythms and make music. You can build a groove really quickly and then you get people singing and writing songs over the top of the groove and you can start to make arrangements together. Yeah, I think I remember on the I it's it, I remember it so vividly. Each group was given you you had to do your own motif mm-hmm. in like uh, stamping your feet or yeah whatever whatever your group of three or four decided to do was your your routine. Yes. And in groups of maybe we had six groups, you then taught your motif to the other groups and yeah. and like collectively made a song between everybody. That's it was it. such a brilliant thing. Um, 
because I'd come from doing community music where we needed sort of laptops and iPads mm-hmm. and other things, and it was just really refreshing to have almost no, almost no musical instruments other than what Fernando was playing, yeah. and and yet everyone was there making music together. It takes it back to the roots again. It takes it back to this essential human dialogue. I mean, I, I love instruments, and I, I think there really is a time and a place for instruments and technology and workshops. Um, but there's something really empowering and exciting about realising we can just make music with our bodies and voices, and that's it. Um, Fernando runs a, a circle music group in Brighton every month, which is purely improvised. And any member of the public can come for free, get together in a room... They start off with a group meditation and then they grow improvised music out of it which lasts for about an hour and a half. That's brilliant. And the time just goes like that. (laughs) You can find their Facebook group, Brighton Circle Music, um, and they show you the event and the place every week. It's in Providence Studios, really near Brighton train station. Fantastic. And the next one is this Saturday. Is it? Although maybe that's not relevant for this recording. Yeah, uh, there might be one next Saturday. Yeah, so, okay, let, let's talk a little bit then about, so Fernando's Brazilian. Yes. Um, and you, where did you, where did you meet him? Well, he was studying in the year above me on the same course at Guildhall. Wow, what an amazing course. That I know. Decision that was <laughs> oh, to go on that it course. made my whole life. It was incredible. Um, and once again, like, I feel like I keep talking about these different things that happened in life that opened up my musical world beyond the classical world. And I'll always love the classical world. I'll always have a place in my heart for it. But it was just such a relief to know that there was something beyond it at the time and to start to understand that. Um, And Fernando was another one of those reasons. He came into my life with this incredible love of roots Brazilian music. Um, And he just opened the door to Brazilian music to me, which has some of the most inspiring flute playing out there. Um, the whole world of samba and all the Afro-Brazilian rhythms that are out there and every rhythm has a specific dance that goes with it so you, you really start to bring movement in with the music you're making mm-hmm. um, and we, we've spent a fair bit of time out there playing and writing music and it yeah it's really opened up another chapter yeah I did see on your YouTube channel there's some mm-hmm. videos in Sao Paulo um, playing in groups as well yes and I, I suppose that's the beauty of what it is you're doing is that really language, language is secondary really to, yeah. to the main thing, but everything that it brings to the group stays the same. Yes. You know, wherever, whatever country you're in, you're unifying the people in the same way. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah, he's very talented. And um, yeah, he was, I think the, the, the great thing about Brazilian people is they're so naturally social. They're so good in that social context. They are. The, uh, us as British people, like you just have to admire it and just go. Well, we're never going to be quite that. No, I felt so stiff when I first went out there. But the the beautiful thing about not all Brazilian music, but a lot of Brazilian music, especially samba, is that it's kept true to its roots, which is community music. And so, um, 
a true often when we think of samba we think of the samba drumming groups and and the parades during carnival and that's what we see on the tv in rio and everything and also that's what's happening in a lot of schools here there's lots of samba drumming groups here in the uk now and yeah yeah it's um it's it's great like the kids love drumming and again it's that whole thing of being unified through rhythms um but actually the roots of samba go beyond that and they have this thing called a traditional samba circle or a hodaji samba they call it and it's basically a group usually of quite old people in a bar somewhere playing a range of instruments um guitars cavaquinhos which are quite a small uh a ukulele size guitar, a seven string guitar where they get the bass lines as well, oh, wow. um, and then a range of percussion instruments and often a flute, uh, sometimes a clarinet, even a saxophone. And they just get together and they play. And they play the old great sambas that everyone loves, everyone knows, and they always have a la 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 section where everyone can sing along. <laughs> And they also play their new compositions, which are their efforts to keep the samba alive, that they teach to everyone in the samba wow, circle. And while this is all happening, everyone else is around them in this social space. They're playing in a circle, they're not performing on a stage, they're in a circle, and the audience, if you like, are all around them, drinking, laughing, having fun, and joining in on the la-la-la sections. <laughs> so it really has that community feel of, we're making music, we're making new music in a social space, providing opportunities for anyone to just join in. Yeah, because the archetypal image you have of, 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 let's say, a live performance is a group of people elevated mm-hmm. above you, amplified, they're louder than they normally would be, so like sort of superhuman powers, yeah. um, and you're standing watching these people um, it's literally on a horse, on a yeah, um, yeah, not it's literally on a horse. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> on their high horse, no. On a, horse, on a pedestal. Yeah, on a pedestal. That's exactly what. I yeah. <laughs> I was combining two yeah. phrases there. And that's it. Like that's the issue that they're on a pedestal either because of celebrity or because of virtuosity. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting swept along in an incredible, exciting, virtuosic performance and really, you know, getting that buzz that we all get from a gig. But the danger of it is it makes people think there are musicians and there are non-musicians. And if we fall into that trap, music starts to die. Mm -hmm. So community music is what stops that death from happening. Community music is what opens it up and removes the pedestal. And that's why it's extremely important that anyone facilitating community music doesn't put themselves on the pedestal of thinking, I'm the expert here, therefore I'll tell everyone what to do. That's not what it's about. Yeah, like, watch this guitar riff. You can be like this one day. Exactly. Yeah, and I suppose that correlates a little bit with classical music as Mm -hmm. well, because... Some people do feel that classical music is not for them because it's too highbrow or it's too elitist, or they've never been exposed to it, so they f- it feels a bit alien and it all sounds the same. But you know, I, I was very lucky because my parents, my parents were both into medieval music. So it, when I go home and when I, since I've grown up, I've always had classical music in the background and always ancient sort of music. So to me. It is something that I do connect to and I do love to listen to. I don't feel like it's an elitist thing. 
But I think for a lot of people it is. It's, it's quite an exclusive thing that they can feel inferior because they don't connect to it. Um, Absolutely. I mean, and it, it's so ridiculous that it's got to that stage. You know, I, I went to see a classical concert the other day and it still surprises me how in between the movements we're not allowed to clap. You know, like, how dare anybody clap in between the movements? And there's always just an awkward shuffling of feet <laughs> and a, a bit of a <coughs> in between the movements. And I just thought, we just heard an incredible piece of music. We should be cheering before they go on to the next section. And what really showed me how what we surround classical music with is stifling us a bit is I took a group of young adults with learning disabilities to a classical concert and during some of the big kind of surging powerful chordal sections uh, the young women next to me literally went whoa <laughs> like at the top of her voice while the music was happening and everyone else around us was very kind of stiff and silent and I just thought she is having a natural human reaction what we should all be doing right exactly now. that's what we're all thinking yeah. when, we go to like, when you hear the orchestra just hit the same note yeah. all together she was just feeling that power and exactly. like expressing it. And that's actually what used to happen. People used to talk through operas and symphonies. It used to be social gatherings. And it's only been in more recent years that we've become very super stiff and stuffy with it all. Mm -hmm. And like, my dream is that we can get back to that stage of classical music being a social event and we're there with our drinks and if the symphony gets a bit dull, we have a bit of a chat and then we come back to it again and that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, Very, it, that sort of reminds me a little bit of, um, uh, you know, when you do like assembly performances or you do performances yeah. in a school, in England we're all very quiet and the teacher's like, Anthony, stop talking, stop shuffling, <laughs> yes. and the, you know, like that. But when I was in Russia and we did a, a performance at the end of the year, there was a lot of chatting in the audience and yeah. it was really not such a hugely focused event like we have in Britain. And I yeah. remember thinking it was a very odd alien experience, but I guess if you could apply that theory to, to classical music... Um, doesn't really matter you don't need to it's sort of like expending your brain power on everybody just focus on that yeah and nothing else it's very and strange it to do. comes it's down to that reverence again it comes down to that pedestal that we're putting them up on and yes they are absolutely awe-inspiring musicians the quality of their playing is breathtaking and we should be really excited and inspired by it but that doesn't mean that it's not for us. It doesn't mean that it's better for us. It just means it's a different way of making music. Definitely. Um, and it stands alongside all of the other amazing ways of making music that are inspiring in, in their different ways. couple of interviews ago I, I spoke to Mylar Melodies who's, um, who's a really good uh, Eurorack um, uh, music maker so Eurorack is like modular synths sort of walls of synthesizers with cables going between them and one of the things he said in an interview which prior, prior to mine was that he's not a musician and I thought that was really interesting that he'd made that statement because he, you know, he, he plays live, he has hundreds of thousands of followers, he, you know, he has a very big following for his music, but yet he started off 
and we discussed the fact that he, he says all the time that he isn't a musician, which I thought was interesting because it relates to part of your manifesto where you've got a quote from, let me see, when it's Philip Ball. Mm. Uh, and he says, there are cultures in the world where to say I'm not musical would be meaningless, akin to saying I'm not alive. And yeah, I've, I've, I think that's such a powerful quote, isn't mm. it? And clearly it's something that's inspired you yeah. and your company, isn't it? Oh, completely. And I, I suppose it's that thing of, you know, is the word musician even relevant? Maybe it's relevant for someone who decides to build their career out of music. Maybe it's relevant to say, okay, they're a musician because they're earning money, but actually I, I feel like we're all musicians. Like every single one of us is a musician. So it kind of feels like the word either needs to exist or it doesn't. Like yeah. we're either all musicians or we're not all musicians. And some of us happen to make money out of music. Definitely. Um, there's, there's this incredible tribe in Papua New Guinea called the Kaluli tribe. And basically their lives are lived through music and they interact with each other musically, um, but they have no word for music. Like, music doesn't exist for them because their life is music. The concept of music doesn't exist because their life is music. Um, and they interact with the landscape around them through music. They hear everything as music. It's, it's really fascinating. That's cool, isn't it? The fact that there's, there's no actual definition of what that is, mm -mm. it's just, it's something that's just there. It's, it's like just being. Maybe what we'd call the ether. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, just the, just being is that whole, the vibration of sound yeah. combined. That's amazing. That is incredible. And if you think about it, there's one moment where everyone, every human being, engages musically, whether they realise they're doing it or not. And it's when they hold a baby. The way we talk to babies is musical. We always raise our voices, we make cooing sounds, we go high and then down low when we talk to babies. And that's because that's what soothes the baby. That's what makes the baby feel good by bringing musical intonations into our voice. Mm. And so if everyone can do that, everyone's being musical. Definitely, definitely. And yeah, you sort of made me think as well of like that everyone's musical. Sometimes you hear someone speaking and they've just got a really lovely way of, of talking or a really nice melody in their voice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's times where you can say to people, wow, you've got such a wonderful voice. And, you know, that, that essentially is music. It's yeah. compression of, 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 of uh, the airwaves. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've heard... Have you heard any of the NASA Voyager space record recordings? I uh, know. Oh, it's all on YouTube. You have to look it up. Um, they're incredible. They're essentially recordings of the sounds of outer space. Um, and you don't think there are sounds because we're always told space is a vacuum and in mm -hmm. a vacuum we don't hear sound or we think that yeah in but space no one hears you scream that's the tagline for aliens exactly. <laughs> but it's just that the sound waves are on different frequencies and what they've done is they've brought them into our range of hearing for the recordings and the sounds are out of this world they really? sound like uh, Buddhist monks chanting um, there are things that sound a bit like dolphins. Um, there are things that sound like sound, uh, is it sound, but singing bowls. Mm -hmm. um, That's incredible. It's incredible. And you suddenly realize that actually 
what is the difference between the sounds we're hearing and music, really? You know, when you stand there and you listen to an ocean wave, what's to stop that from being music? Yeah, it's rhythmical, it yeah. has tone. And... Yeah. You know, where does... There, there are birds, I think they've done studies of the Nightingale's song, where it, it's so fast that we can't pick out the individual notes with the human ear. When mm. they've taken recordings and slowed it down, they've literally found a strophic song, you know, verse, chorus, verse, <laughs> chorus. They're, they're literally structuring music in the same way that we do. Um, they've done the same studies on humpback whales as well, where some of their melodies are so complex they've compared them to Bach sonatas. Wow, um, that's incredible. And, that, and that's all around the world, you know, it's not just humans, all the creatures of the world are, are tapping into these things. Mm-hmm. Do, you think, um, do you think the hummingbird does a mid-late as well? This uh, I hope so. I They've hope probably so. got their own mid-late <laughs> we, we haven't even got to. Yeah, yeah. It, they're probably way beyond us already. Yeah. So I think it's that thing of just knowing, no one can really tell where music starts or stops. It's, it's this never-ending thing and some sounds may be more organized in inverted commas than others but you know we have crazy free jazz improvisations like you know how how different is that from just being in the middle of nature and in the middle of a thunderstorm or something and hearing all the different sounds around you yeah you've you've reminded me of when i was in brazil we went to a jazz concert Mm -hmm. i can't remember where it was it was a few hours outside of porto alegre which is where i was and it was a guy called hermito (gasps) pasquale amazing flute player yeah, yeah, it was a it was a it was a jazz festival. I think he, they were like headlining. There's lots of other people throughout the day. But at one point during that concert, his wife, who's the the other the main woman on stage, um, she was brushing her teeth in a rhythmical <laughs> way there with a go. microphone there. Yeah, and it was it, that it was a really cool moment because you realise then that like I do that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it was it was sort of quite um, you know I think. Again, like with classical music, you see jazz as being something quite elitist. Mm-hmm. But in that scenario, she's doing something that we all do every day, you know? Exactly. Yeah, that was really cool. They're bringing it back to the basics, bringing it back to being human again, taking it down off the pedestal, bringing it into the reality of, of life. Mm-hmm. There's, um, there's an amazing video of Hermeta Pasquale, actually. Um, if you just YouTube Hermeta Pasquale Flute River, he comes up like sitting in this river playing wooden flutes dipping them in and out of the water of the river to change the sounds that the really? flute's making it's incredible he's a crazy guy but a bit of a genius yeah he sort of yeah. looked like father christmas yes. on hol- on holiday in like uh, the bermuda triangle yeah. <laughs> big flat and big like uh, colorful shirts and a, and, a, and some sort of uh, like a Panama hat or something, but with a big white beard, and he's quite sort of short and stocky. Yeah. It was such a cool, it was such a cool day. So you have three strands of delivery mm. in, in what you do at Soundcastle. You have the embed mm-hmm. and catalyst and spark. Yes. What are the difference between those three? Okay, so our embed pathway is the one closest to our hearts, basically, and that is about creating sustainable long-term projects. 
So there aren't many of them. They are projects that we seek to find recurring funding for um, and also really try and get the community involved in, in making sure that the projects run long term. So we have, that's our Musical Beacons family project in Bow and our mental health project in Worthing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would like to make more of those. Um, we're working on that at the moment. Um, then Catalyst are kind of shorter term intervention projects where an organisation, usually an institution such as a school or a museum for example, decide they want a project in for a few weeks um, and they want to take some learning away from that project. So whoever's rooted in the institution, whoever works there long term, can also see it as a training experience as well and continue the work once, once we've left. Mm-hmm. And often with those partners, we might do a yearly project, so going in for a couple of weeks once a year or something like that. And then Spark is one-off training events. So whatever work we're doing, we take our learning, we compile it, we put it together into training, and we offer that out to other arts practitioners out there. Uh, we've run training events for music hubs before, um, but often we put them on independently and invite people to come along and develop their skills as facilitators it's brilliant it's a really yeah I think that approach is amazing to have the yeah to have that the three the three ways of delivering it and yeah sort of having it a bit like we sang earlier about planting a seed and and letting that grow it's not just the turning up and disappearing and I honestly think community music would be great for everybody in Mm -hmm. society you know it's something that it's benefited me like teaching it and being part of it and knowing about it um, and everybody I've worked with in community music have been fantastic people I've met some of the most incredible people doing community music and it's it would be great if it got to a point where this was just something everybody did yes you don't have you know? to be in challenging circumstances or whatever to really reap benefits from community music and everyone can find something near them there's always a local pub choir happening somewhere uh, there's always a drumming group happening somewhere Brighton's full of them there's like the Maracatu there's Beleza there's Brighton School of Samba there's so many drumming groups in Brighton that you can join um, like literally it's just the, the world is full of community music and you just have to Google what's near you, what's happening in your local pub or community centre and show up and get involved. It would be great, wouldn't it, to think of a way that it could be something that was open to everybody and everyone... Because I don't think community music is something that people know about. No, it's just something people, people don't think don't about. People don't know about it and often when they do, they're scared of it and they'll say, I'm not musical. I'm tone deaf and that's usually because at school when they were six years old a teacher told them not to sing so loudly yeah you know it, yeah, one time that and one that's time resonated yeah it exactly and I, I really think that the beauty of community music is it's made to work on different levels so within one group you will have some people who are exceptionally experienced musicians they might even have training of some kind and you'll have other people who never sung a note in their life before walking into the room. And the group will be made accessible for everyone. The beauty of music is that one person in the room is playing a very complicated rhythm and the other person is just keeping a beat. And they don't have to do any more than that. They're just playing the most simple thing 
and it's just keeping everyone rolling along in the music. Yeah. So music's made of layers. If everyone was playing the most complicated thing all the time, it would sound rubbish. Yeah, and it would like normalise you to that, that's the normal yeah. thing of music. Yeah, definitely. You need the people playing the simple parts for the music to make sense. And if you look at any culture in the world, there are people of all different levels of experience playing the music together. Definitely, definitely. And I, I, I have a theory that those people who say like, oh, I'm tone deaf or I can't sing, I guarantee they've got really good rhythm. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah. skill set in there somewhere yeah. that isn't the tonal thing of everything. Yeah. Um, and for me personally, I, I mean, I'm terrible at playing the drums and I know I am, but I have skills elsewhere. A drum kit is a really complex <laughs> instrument to learn to play. <laughs> No one can just sit and play the drums and all the decent drummers out there have been practicing for a really long period of time to get to that level. If you sit down with something more simple like a djembe West African drum or something like that and are just taught really basic rhythms, like it, it would probably come a bit more easily. Definitely, yeah. Mm. It's, it's... And not, not to dumb down djembes at all, they are like professional djembe players are phenomenal and create sounds of that instrument, you had no idea. But because it's not an entire kit in front of you and it's just that one drum skin in front of you, it suddenly makes it more accessible when you're at the beginner stage. Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, just so you do use musical instruments in, mm. in your, in, we in your workshops, what sort of things do you, do you take along? We use things like djembes which is the drum I just described from West Africa. Um, we use cajons, which are like a box drum from Spain. I love it, yeah. Oh, it's such a, yeah. such a great thing. You have like a snare, there's a snare for the front to it, isn't exactly. there? Exactly. And it's literally a box you sit on and hit the front of, and then the snare helps to create the sound. It's, it's so accessible and great. We use tuned percussions, so things like glockenspiels, xylophones, metallophones. We use ukuleles keyboards and lots of handheld percussion like wood blocks and clays and shakers and the reason we choose those kinds of instruments is because they are instantly accessible for anybody so all of them can be played to a really high complex standard but when you need to make that first sound you can press a key or play a note and it will sound nice it's kind of impossible to make a horrible sound. Whereas if we gave everyone a violin or a clarinet or a flute, it sounds a bit horrible for quite a long time until you've done quite a lot of practice. Yeah, it's a steep learning curve, isn't it? It's a isn't steep there? learning curve. And it's really important to differentiate between community music and music lessons. They're very different things. Community music, we are making new sounds together. Music lessons, you are training in how to play an instrument. We don't really teach people how to play instruments, only the few that we bring to a very basic level. And we say to people, if you already play an instrument at home, like a cello or a saxophone or anything like that, please bring it along and play it and we'll put it in the mix. But for people who have no experience whatsoever, we start them off on ours and then we have progression routes from our sessions so we can link them up with local music teachers if they do decide they want to choose an instrument and take it to a higher technical level. Wow, brilliant. That's brilliant. And, and musical instruments are accessible. They're accessible things, aren't, aren't they? Um, I think on the face of it, they, everyone thinks of a musical instrument. They think of a piano or a drum kit or an electric guitar. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a lot of instruments... Um, that are accessible, that are f affordable for people. Yes. Um, and even homemade instruments is a really fun thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, 
It is. We often do that in our sessions, especially when working with kids. Homemade shakers. People make flutes out of carrots these days. It's incredible. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, I mean, even for me, there's uh, the sound of twanging an elastic band. Mm. I can sit there, for, I can honestly sit there for hours and just twang the elastic band because it, it sort of sounds like a bass synthesizer. Oh, yeah. Because there's a tension of it and the way that it, the, the way that it sounds. It sounds very much like... Um, there's a synthesizer called a TB303, mm. which is like quite a squelchy sound people always describe it as. And um, for me, the elastic band is, is the gateway to that synthesizer, but it it's hardly costs anything. Yeah. Um, and look what you're doing. You're literally playing with sound there by twanging that elastic band. That is you exploring and discovering sounds. And that's where music came from in the first place. go about doing that um in 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 when you have a, like a very challenging group who aren't engaging or they are not very confident how do you how do you sort of loosen up how do you loosen up a group like we, that we try to meet them on their level so we we try to meet them where they're at and grow from there so if they're all super shy and we go in all guns blazing like it just it never works ever no matter how kind of high energy and happy 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 we are that will never work and um, so we've really just got to talk to them and get to know them as people the more we talk the more we have a chat cups of tea are the most important thing in the world <laughs> i'm not even a tea drinker and i know that in every community workshop we do there has to be cups of tea and chat beforehand because if we don't get to know each other as people we can't make them feel safe that's interesting is that i wonder if that's only in britain that you have to have the cups of tea oh yeah we didn't really do the cups of tea in brazil <laughs> no, they had the shimahom in Ooh. where I was in the south of Brazil which is like a, a mate it's a drink that you have I never come across that oh right it's really cool um, maybe it's a southern Brazil it's thing. a southern Brazil and Uruguay and Argentinian okay. thing it's like a, a, a drink that you have as a group that you share it mm. so it's it's like this green I don't really know what it is it's called a M-A-T-T-E I don't know how you pronounce okay. it but um, yeah it's called Shimahom and it's a hot drink that you have so everyone goes around at the weekend in parks with like a flask of hot water and they tip it in and they you drink it out of this straw and there's a few small rules with it that go with it like um, you can't touch the stuff once it's in there you sort of set somebody sets it and then it goes around and you can't make the noise of like slurping if you're near the end you just have to drink it responsibly but it was a very it's a very um, social thing that you do in a group let's say you're you're watching the football with a group of friends or, or as a family get together, you have the shimmer home, this cup, which gets passed around the group and shared. Wow. So, yeah. It shows how food and drink is, is such an important part of community as well. The things all go together. And actually, one thing we notice, we always know when we've started to genuinely embed a project in a community because people start bringing food and drink People start baking cakes and bringing them to the sessions. People want to contribute and give beyond the music itself. Um, 
And whenever that starts to happen, we're like, okay, things are settling here. Things are getting grounded. This is good. <laughs> we had one session where this really lovely woman made us, she was florist, and she made us all floral garlands for our hair. Wow, like everyone that's in the group. Yeah, it's amazing. That's cool. Well, that leads me on quite well to a question I thought of on the way here, which was, um, what's been your proudest moment of working for Soundcastle? Oh my goodness, that's such a tough question to answer. There's no one moment that stands out. I think it's an ongoing feeling of pride that we're here and we're surviving in the arts industry. Mm-hmm. Because you, you have to be really passionate about what you do and you have to press ahead and be determined to make your way in the arts. Um, it's a very easy industry to give up in and um, we, we're often put in the position of having to justify what we do and actually every time I see another project running and people coming in the room and making friends and feeling part of something that's when I feel proud every single time and actually there, there is one really nice example um, a young girl in our musical beacons project she's six years old and we had some guests come to visit the project and we brought them into the room and this little girl was also called hannah actually and and we said oh hannah you know these are some people who've come to see the project today and see what we do and she said hi i'm hannah i'm one of the artists i can show you around and she was six years old and i was like she feels just as much an artist in this room as anyone else and that's the point of it she didn't feel separation between us and them she felt like it was something we all do together yeah that's that's incredible that she identified herself that way yeah that's awesome yeah so in in community music in general obviously there's your company soundcastle um there's a few other companies that are quite big in the uk that maybe people haven't heard of Mm -hmm. For example, Drake Music, um, working with disabled children and making music. Mm-hmm. What other, are there any companies that you'd sort of recommend or that you, you think people should know about? Yeah, um, here in Brighton I definitely, definitely highlight Carousel. Um, they are a really exciting arts charity that gives a platform to learning disabled artists. So they work with adults with learning disabilities who... Um, are creative and are making art and want to put it out there in the world Um, and it's really a chance for these people to to have a professional platform Um, probably their most famous artist is a guy called Daniel Wakeford who writes his own songs writes his own music and he tours around the country doing gigs Mm -hmm. Um, but they have everything else from a radio station to filmmaking and every two years they put on the Oscar Bright Film Festival here in Brighton um, which is the only um, film festival created by and for people with learning disabilities in the world Wow! and the quality of the films is outstanding and really exciting um, and it yeah it really shows you what people with learning disabilities are capable of and the respect they deserve for their art Brilliant. Yeah, so Carousel are great. 
Um, oh, there's so many wonderful community music organisations. There's um, Drumworks based in East London. Um, and they are a huge drumming project, social enterprise. Um, their drumming's inspired by samba, but it's not samba. Um, they have big groups of drummers like samba, but they create their own rhythms, their own music with them. And they put on huge community events where they get hundreds of drummers playing all at the same time. They work in loads of different schools um, and they're a social enterprise model. So they get the young people they work with moving up through the organisation. Eventually they end up leading the drumming groups themselves. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. Isn't it? To not only be part of that group, but also to have like the potential to be yeah. within that and to be helping. Absolutely. That's an awesome structure for a company. Yeah, because I think a lot of people in the real world, they ha- they're in a job and they can't see any progression and they have to do it, but that that's a brilliant idea. Yeah. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I went to a youth music, quite a few youth music giver gigs in, mm. in Brighton. Um, we actually put one on, I think, oh, nice. 2016. Um, yeah, so they're, they're, they're a good company that work in yes. community music as youth well. Youth Music are amazing. Youth Music are our primary funder. Mm-hmm. So our Musical Beacons project in, in Bo is, is running because of Youth Music. Fantastic. Yeah. That's really good. I raised 600 quid for them in 2016. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Maybe some of that has gone into our musical beacons project, Hopefully. so thank you very much. That's, yeah, I didn't drink alcohol for a whole year. It was, it was very good. Oh, it was, it was good brilliant. for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> the Arts Council as well, were they? So, Arts Council are funding our project in Worthing, in our project in mental health. Um, and Arts Council have been a great supporter of us through various projects. Um, the difference with Arts Council is you can only apply to them once for any particular project. It then needs to be quite a different project you apply for a second time. Right. Um, so we've had various Arts Council grants, but always for a different project each time. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a wonderful uh, group of people working in community music. I think Unsung Heroes... It's, yeah, it's quite a quite a point in the way to put it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> well, clearly the work you're doing is incredible. I know like it benefited me just being in the room watching my students be part of one so um, yeah it is incredible work you do and I do think that community music is a sort of undervalued undervalued um, I know my friend who um, works in Swansea with learn through music who I may have put you in touch with a long time ago Nathan yes you did yeah yeah like the work they do is incredible and um it's it's such a great thing that uh, gives back to the community and and they even work with um, like corporate things mm. they go to workplaces and do what are called team building exercises but even that's a bit of a cliched name isn't it really team yeah. building what you're really doing is all the other things we talked about about well-being and meditative things and building people's confidence and interaction and getting people communicating with each other yeah i think yeah. i think thing, calling it team building is is sort of dumbing it down a little bit isn't yeah. it it's it's making it into something that it's not 
Um, but yeah, he does amazing work. They did um, they did a project where you can listen to songs in order to learn GCSE uh, subjects, for yeah. example, science and maths and English. Yeah, incredible, incredible. I don't I, like everywhere I've worked in community music. It's been inspirational. It's been a really mm. powerful experience. It is. It's a great line of work to be in. I have to say, you just meet wonderful people all the time and make music together. What more could you want from life? Yeah, what's better than that? Yeah. What else is there? Exactly. It would be really great to, in some way, in some way, to make community music something that's just ingrained. Yeah. And perhaps that's something I'll think about because I'd never thought about it until we've been sitting here now. And it, it is something that everyone can benefit from, isn't yeah. it? It's our, it's our long-term dream with Soundcastle. Who knows if it will happen in my lifetime. But the whole point of our Embed projects is to be equipping people with the knowledge that they can leave our session and keep making music if they want to. They can make it with their children at home. They can make it with their friends when they're out drinking. They can have a sing-along in the pub. You know, yeah. anything, in any situation, people just need to know that they can make music and that's okay and that's a, a part of life and it's a good thing so the idea is that we we work with enough people throughout our lifetimes to start sowing that seed out there spreading it yeah it, it's such a brilliant thing and i think it brings so many so many benefits to people there are almost no downsides to doing yeah. that i mean i can't yeah. think of any at all no. um so people can volunteer for, for Soundcastle, Yes, is that they correct? can. We really welcome volunteers, particularly at our Musical Beacons project in Bow in London, because there are often lots of children in the room, so the more hands on deck, the better. <laughs> um, our volunteers don't need to have any previous experience in music making. Like, it's always great if you're an experienced musician and want to bring your instrument along, that's lovely, but it's not a requirement of the role. The role is to be in the room, be enthusiastic, to take part alongside everyone else and be a friendly face for people in the room who might be a bit more shy or need a bit more support. Definitely, and it's a chance to sort of learn new skills, yeah. again, meet new people and um, really be rewarded as, at the same time, as well as giving their own time and their own, um, yeah, bringing, bringing themselves to it, they all, you will also get a lot back from doing it. Exactly. Their voice will be in the music too, because by volunteering in the project, they're volunteering to become a part of that community setting. So the music that's made is the, reflects the voices of everyone in the room, and that includes our volunteers. Great, so uh, people can go to your website? They can go volunteer. to our website, they can get in touch with me by email, hannah at soundcastle.co.uk, and I can give them all the information they need. That's brilliant, and I suppose if they, for people not living in Brighton or in this mm -hmm. area, I expect the similar uh, companies that they could volunteer for all around absolutely, the UK. Absolutely, absolutely. To be honest, lots of community music companies need volunteers. Um, not to deliver the actual sessions, it should never be for that, but just to kind of help support people in the room um, and make teas and coffees, all of that kind of thing. Um, so there are plenty of organisations out there looking for volunteers. Um, cool, I think, I think we're, that's, that's, we've summed it up pretty nicely. Uh, Perfect. Thank you very much for talking to me today. Thank you so much, it was a pleasure. Um, uh, yeah, and best of luck with everything that you do in Soundcastle. Thank you.
It's an incredible thing, community music, and Hannah is a wonderful example of a person that works within it, and I have to say everyone I know that works in community music is a loving, genuine, professional in what they do. They're brilliant musicians, they're really enthusiastic, they're able to cope with all kinds of situations, so they really are to be commended. And if you have the skills to make music, you have the skills to be part of community music. So find out in your local area what you can do and you will find it's an incredible experience. You'll feel great from doing it and you'll spread that love to other people. And maybe you'll have a musician of the future in your hands, who knows. Right, next month we're talking to a huge producer. He has worked on one of the biggest albums of this year with one of the world's biggest electronic artists. I was so excited to go and meet him and I can't wait to bring you that interview so definitely check it out next month. Thank you once again for listening to the world's most amateur podcast produced and recorded in my bedroom. I'm Midiera, this was Midiera Beats. I'll see you again soon, goodbye.